Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Vialucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. <laughs> Are we on that? Oh, sorry. Um, so, John, we got you back this summer, hence yeah. me wearing the glasses. Uh-huh. For, I'll, I'll take them off in about 10 minutes when the joke's worn off. Okay. So I have got my summer shirt on, Charles. What do you think? It's lovely, very similar. Or Hawaii Five O. It's sort of like yeah, it's got yeah, that sort that of movie. Good, yeah, Miami Vice. Who was well, who was he? Who was the uh, Hawaii Five O guy? Oh, Steve McGarrett. No, you've gone too complicated. No, who's the guy with the Tesh? The TV show. You think of Magnum PI? Oh yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> that was Magnum. That was Mag- no, that was Magnum. That yeah. was Tom. That's a different Tom show. Tom. That's a different show with a different, a different era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's okay. my knowledge. Well, it's, it's there. <laughs> right. So we're doing summer uh, podcast, which is why I've got me um, uh, summer uh, blockbusters. Why I've got me summer shirt on and mm-hmm. uh, glasses while it's um, almost dark outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was some sun, uh, sunny, sunny one I got here. Right. So, John, over to you. What we're we doing? Well, it's uh, summer movies. Um, I figure. We might as well celebrate them because this is another um, indi- individual theme that I think it would be great to talk about because we talk about Oscars, we talk about Valentine's, yeah. we, talk about, we talk about Christmas. So it's the official so, start of summer now you're here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as I say, the summer era of blockbusters, it's been really interesting because I think summer movies do define our lives. I mean, they certainly have defined mine. Um, I mean, my first summer of movie going was 1977. I was eight years old. Oh, that was the year I was born. That's all I know about my birthday. Hmm. Now, so, what was released in nineteen? Well, um, well, funny enough, um, the yeah, James, Elvis died. Well, well, it was the it was the time of the old um, Doug McClure um, prehistoric epics like The Land of Time Forgotten, and Warlords of Atlantis, and um, At the Earth's Core. Um, that At the Earth's Core was nineteen seventy six. But for me, it is defined by three movies. Um, one of which I'll be talking about is um, one of them was The Rescuers, 1977, which is the Disney animated movie, uh, which was one of, which is one of several animated films from the 70s that came out at the time. And the other two were a, was a double bill of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger and oh, yeah, the, the theatrical version of Spider-Man. Nicholas Hammond, it was the TV show from 1977. Is that the TV pilot? Yeah, the though? TV show, yeah. which was um, which is more Kenny Everett than Marvel. But... Hmm. Um, but it was, uh, but I mean, we, we lapped it up. I mean, I remember we, we watched Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger first and then Spider-Man came on. It was, it was quite novel seeing how this character came on because it was also Batman when Batman was more like the camp version, like the Adam West version, <laughs> where they, they'd always do a bit of tricking where they go up a building, but of course it was the camera was yeah, yeah. Side to do it's it. on its side, yeah. But, the um, Sinbad film, was that the one with the Pegasus? Or what, what was the, the, the horse um, Well, it's, it's got the Minotaur and it was, um, yeah, and there was like skeleton stuff, but it also featured um, Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca in Star Wars. He actually played um, Minotaur in it. It was his oh, film, his first film, because he, he was a hospital orderly at the time. Oh, yeah. He was a hospital orderly at the time. And um, he used, between, between doing the wards, he actually became an actor. Oh, right. And then, and then basically George Lucas saw the legend goes, he walked, he went into an audition and George Lucas said, stand up. And he stood up and he said, right, he's our Chewbacca. Oh, he's just a big dude, is he? Yeah, he's, he's six. Well, he's just died recently, yeah, but he was, yeah. um, he was about six foot seven or seven oh, right, foot, yeah. seven foot two, I think. I think it was, was yeah, pushing seven, seven foot two. Seven, yeah. But, um, but no, it, I mean, summer movies, you know, it, it's sort of, what does it mean? It means like 
the summer holidays, you know, you'd sort of go, you know, you, you finish in July and then, you know, and then your parents would, they'd either give you pocket money to go and watch your local movie or you go with your family to watch, um, you know, you know, a movie in the holidays. I mean, I remember going to see the double bill of Spy Love Me and Pink Panther Strikes Again <laughs> just before I went to, um, we went on, in 1980, we went on a holiday to um, ride in the Isle of Wight. And uh, we, we went the night before we went to this local cinema and watched like Spy Love Me and the Pink Panther Strikes Again. And it was back in the days when double bills were oh, yeah. quite a thing. Um, and also the poster actually is a mimicry. You had Roger Moore and the Pink Panther back to back. Oh, okay. It was like double yeah, yeah, the thing, yeah. but you know. Um, do you, um, do the James Bonds always release at the same time of year? Or were they all different? They were, for, well, funny enough, for, from 1973 to 1989, they were summer films. But then, funny enough, the, the release date, especially the latest one, it's not going to, the latest one's not going to be a summer film. It's April. April 2020 is the latest release date for right. the new Bond. But for a while, up until 1989, they were traditionally summer movies. So everything from... The Roger Moore from Live and Let Die to License to Kill was a summer release. Um, and then the thing is with the with the whole release slate is that because of piracy, films are normally released on the same day. Like films like Con Air, for example, there is a world there was a worldwide release date of June the sixth. So because to get as many films out as possible because of piracy, they would release them on the same day. In 1977, for example, Star Wars was released on May the 25th in 32 screens. But because the studio wasn't sure how well it was going to do, it could only, they could only book it in 32 screens. It then grew in word of mouth, set house records on its first week, right. and then became such. And so in New Zealand and the UK, for example, it was a Christmas release, but it became such a big thing that word of mouth built so much. You know, the blockbuster era was done Mel because of Jaws in 1975 because Sid Sheinberg who was the president of, of Universal who's recently died he actually decided to do an incredible campaign for it so they had it was the first time where they used you know TV and newspaper cuttings I mean they spent some like four million dollars at the time on actually doing this wide thing yeah. and there was about 480 prints at the time it has um what's the Avengers? Did that break the opening thing? It was going for the best, the the most money taken in the first weekend or something. It's, well, it's, did it break it? It's room? it's sort of it it was expected. I mean, the industry literally when it bowed in May or April, it was literally people weren't even gonna they they nobody nobody even be, began to question it. It was just literally that's how big it was because. Yeah. The ticket, the pre-sale tickets when they went on sale was like was off the radar. Right, okay. You know, it's now. I mean, it's taken two point one billion. I think, according from what I saw in the Hollywood Reporter, okay, like I think it's yeah. It's, it's I think currently it's about forty million off uh, Avatar, which yeah. is the highest-grossing film ever. Oh, that's the okay. And who's third? Who would uh, be third? Ooh. I know that Avatar. the all four yeah. Avengers films are in the top four. Yeah, and Black Damn. Panther. Like I think Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, it's Force Awakens. Um, yeah. And I think Star Wars The Last Jedi. I think the, the latest ones of the. I think. Um, I think Fast and, the Fast and Furious 6 or Fast and Furious. What? One of them is up there. Yeah. One of them. I mean, Fast and Furious 6 took over a billion. 
it's Bloody it's you hell. know Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is I'm in on the wrong job. Vin Diesel is making too much money. He's unstoppable. <laughs> well, He's how, unstoppable. Many, yeah. how many cars can you see wheel spin? That's I mean I don't. What's the story? Am I missing something? It's is it, it started good storytelling. Out, it's, or it started out. Paul Walker is a cop who goes undercover to about street racing. It's illegal street racing, and that's the whole thing that started. Yeah. But as the time's gone on, Paul Walker then goes to the other side, and then and then as it can, there becomes like a. I think, I think Luke, Luke, Wills, Luke, um, what's the, the Welsh guy? Luke, Dave, Luke, Luke, the, the, the actor, there's Jason Statham and Luke, um, what's, what's the surname? But no this, well, the Welsh actor who's kind of, he, he kind of goes on a revenge thing and there's like, um, and there's like uh, Michelle Rodriguez and it becomes like a, um, you know, it's it's they've they've somehow created a story arc out of a movie that was very very simple. <laughs> um, the, the, yeah, that's the thing. The first couple of films were quite forgettable. I mean, yeah. they were perfectly fine, but there was uh, I saw them and I was like, like, okay, I don't really get it. Like, I saw them later where, after mm. they, you know, yeah. they, but, they, but then from now. the fourth, fourth or fifth one onwards, they actually did like a they did a they did a film called Fast and Furious, which was again they'd sort of taken the whole concept and then they just made it bigger. And then from then on, it became the law of increasing returns. Yeah, <laughs> they, they steered into the stupid. I feel yeah. like they, they were like, "This is this is dumb. This yeah. is silly, and we're just going to go, go there. We go, yeah, we're going to just going to ramp it up, make it sillier, make it more." It's stupid. Like Trump, it's, <laughs> it works. It's on every podcast like to mention Trump, but yeah. <laughs> so summer blockbusters. So what are we, what have we got then? What's okay, so this is my top ten. Um, in particular, in order, in, in well, in reverse order, okay. because I I kind of feel that these are. Um, these kind of represent what I feel are the um, the top ten memories of my right. Okay. The last, so yeah. it's based on from 1975. Right. Um, we've talked about number t- my my first choice is number t- my number ten choice because it was the first one that I ever saw and remembered is the Rescuers, which are the animated Disney film, which is that were, mice. Yeah, it's about yeah. mice. It's about um, like a rescue society of mice who live on the who work under the United Nations, and they <laughs> seriously and they um, basically this um, message in a bottle is intercepted from this orphan girl called Penny, yeah. who is um, being held hostage by um, this evil lady called Madame Medusa, yeah. and her assistant Snoops, and she wants to get. There's a cave where there's um, a diamond called the Devil's Eye, yeah. And they they go from they fly from New York. The mice go from New York to Devil's Bayou, which is probably in Tennessee or somewhere like that. And they have lots of adventures. There's a um, there's a group of um, swamp mice in there, and they it's battles. And it's just you know. So do the human beings know there are there are mice? It, it's it's a well, it's it's kind of a weird one. Disney would always use animals as they do in all the things if you think of all the movies like robin hood and the jungle book it's like that mix of i was just wondering if it was like tom and jerry you only saw from the ankle up just sort of they were running between people's legs and things um and well in the rescuers the, the humans are in tangent the with show. the you know okay, penny, right. penny is the penny is like the the kid who kind of is to evoke the audience's sympathy right okay and she um and then and there's a few songs in there which funny enough were co-written by the the same people who wrote the theme for rocky <laughs> gonna fly now awesome, so awesome. Carol, Carol Connor's the name Robbins um 
worked with Sammy, F- Sammy Fain, and they also wrote the theme with Bill Conti for Gonna Fly Now. Oh, okay. So, but there was, there's songs like The Rescue, Someone's Waiting for You. Um, at the time that you could also buy, there was no video, but you could also buy these Rescuer storybooks. So you could actually listen to an abridged version oh, yeah. of the story, and they'd be like clips from the thing. It was also available in, um, there were a few scenes like, um, on Super 8. We actually had Super Albatross 8. Airlines. <laughs> so um, they would have like eight minutes extract. So they, they they did a special, in the time Super 8 was like the, the home entertainment. Uh. So VHS came in in 1980. In 19, about 19, from 1965 to 1980, Super 8 was the way that you could watch movies and you'd watch them in reels. So you'd watch, um, you know, we, we actually rented um, a 54 minute version of escape from alcatraz and um well you rented the reel you rented the reels oh, there's a company in dudley How careful in would you have to be with that though um well if you looked after it you yeah. know you'd have, and i i remember we rented extracts of uh, star wars and we've actually got in our family collection we've got an 18 minutes abridged version of close encounters of the third kind so it clearly really yeah. 18 minutes yeah wow. <laughs> and um and actually i i saw an i saw an edited version of the exorcist which oh, was yeah. a 50 warner brothers did two versions so it was like three reels about 18 minutes each and it was all pretty much it didn't include things like the opening iraq um right sequence, yeah, yeah, yeah but it included all the key sequences right. Right. and then superman the movie had a lot of the key sequences um they did one for star wars which was actually um, certain scenes, selected scenes from the opening through to the TIE fighter attack on the Millennium Falcon. So, and there was one, and then they also did um, a company called Marketing Film Corporation released a, um, they released a, a special extended promo of Star Trek, the motion picture, which I discovered on YouTube recently. And it's a 12 minute extract, which they showed to exhibitors. There's a thing called show West where they, they show all the upcoming films. Titanic, for example, they did the five-minute trailer of Titanic, which was... Five minutes, yeah. Which was... Because at the time, in 1997, they... Nobody... Everybody thought it was going to be a flop. And then Paramount and Fox put together this five-minute trailer to show exhibitors, and everybody burst into applause. So these were... Essentially, going back to what we're talking about, these were like special extracts you could get. Um... And, you know, it was quite nice. I mean, we watched them religiously. So where did you get the reel from? Where were you renting these from? A, there was a company that's no longer available. It's a company called Deram Film Services. And they actually were the number one um, library for Super 8 films in the UK. They actually did a special deal with Spielberg to do a special one minute, 20 minute reel of Raiders of the Lost Ark which they released for Paramount, which was specially edited by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Uh Um, And there was a whole host of them. And, you know, there were, you could rent, you know, for about, say, five pounds for a few days, like a week, you could watch. Can can you remember who who was before Blockbuster? Who was the go-to? Was there, or they just loaded small ones? Well, before Blockbusters, it was just, it was just video libraries at your local garage. You could, I mean, (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, because because people because shop what it was was most most of the shop owners they saw something to make more money. Oh, so they could just, so they could right, so for example, yeah. so between the food and the drink yeah, I and think stuff, I remember, yeah, and um, you know, but there were actually dedicated video libraries which whole shelves of stuff, and you could watch, you know, and and of course there was no regulation before nineteen eighty four, so you know, you, you used to go in there and 
you know, you go in there with your dad and you might get a couple, rent a couple of films on, um, like on a Saturday night, you know, something like The Evil yeah. Dead or Friday the 13th. Yeah. But, what do you mean there was no regulation before 1994? 1984. Well, it, it was just unregulated there was a the video recordings that came in in 1984 the classifications yeah, was, yeah. Oh. there was no there was literally no really? classifications. yeah, uh, yeah. and lots of, a couple of films were banned back then so. well there was there was a thing called the deep the director of public prosecutions this and then mary whitehouse for example oh, yeah. she got involved and then there was a famous um there was a famous headline on the daily mail ban this video filth because things like driller killer yeah the, the, the video nasties trailer yeah running. cannibal holocaust yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and i mean nowadays most of the funny thing is is when you go into you know before h&b closed you could go into if you go into fop or something you go in there now and it actually looks like a video library of 1980 really because yeah. <laughs> everybody but it's all legal now yeah. it's, it's but it but it's nice i mean at the time it was quite nice because because a lot of these movies were you know for us my generation or for our generation it was great because you know we didn't turn us into zombies but it was quite nice to see all these movies that we couldn't get in to see when we were like <laughs> because we were underage yeah um, and I think that when you're 13 and 14, it's a rite of passage. You want to watch a movie that is there anyway. So, so right, yeah, so go on, Burrows. We've got that. No, not Burrows. The Rescuers. Rescuers. <laughs> okay, so that's number, number 10. So getting back on track, my number nine choice is Splash. Oh, really? 1984, Ooh. which is a Ron Howard movie starring Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks. Oh, it's Ron Howard. Was that yeah. one of his earlier films? Uh, yeah, it was, he, it was his second directorial yeah, film. He did be. a film called um, Night Shift. In 1982, which with Henry Winkler and it was Michael Keaton's big screen debut. Henry Winkler's in the Fonz. Yeah, Henry Winkler stuck with him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Splash is actually a story of a businessman called Alan Bauer, played by Tom Hanks, and he basically, as a kid, he goes on a family trip to Cape Cod, falls over the side, and meets a young girl, girl, a mermaid girl. Yeah. A mer girl, mer girl, mer- mermaid, mermaid girl, lady mermaid, lady mermaid. So, in a nutshell, later on, he's he's now an adult businessman working in fruit and veg, and basically his le- his wife has left him, and he decides to go off to Cape Cod, and the same thing again. He meets the mermaid. He pulls by the accident. Does she save him again? She saves him again. She thinks, oh Christ, so, not him um, again. So basically <laughs> his wallet is, he loses his wallet. Oh, okay. And then she emerges just, he emerges at the Statue of Liberty totally naked and ends up taken to, um, taken to the police office station. And then Tom Hanks goes and rescues And then it becomes like their, um, their actual adventure. And then, um, and then his brother, Freddie, who's played by John Candy, who's, very oh yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's also this um, this doc this sleazy scientist who's played by Eugene Levy who played Jim's dad in American Pie. Well, in this movie, he's determined to discover that you know this oh, okay this yeah. thing's in. So um, it's very very funny. Um, you know, Daryl Hannah's lovely in it, and he um, and the, the, there's some really funny moments. There's a great sequence involving a lobster in. There's a funny sequence involving lobster in the um, in a restaurant, and um, there's a scene where she's she's in a um, in a TV store, and um, he says um, he goes, "What's your name?" He goes, "Well, it's very difficult to say in English." So oh, he yeah. goes, "Okay, do it." And then she does this screeching, and then she all the TVs all the TVs yeah. explode. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's um, it. It was actually one of the first films that Touchstone Pictures did. It was um, you know it was where they changed because it was the more 
adult label. Right. So films like um, like Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Outrageous Fortune, um, Stakeout, Deadly Pursuits, well, Shoot to Kill, Deadly Pursuits, um, The Help, Con Air, a lot of a lot of the movies because these it was one of those things they went from the more the, the children's thing because it was it, that Disney wanted to get into more grown up fare and more right. mature fare. So that's the um, so that's my number nine. Okay. That's a good. It's a good. This is a very sweet film, yeah, isn't okay. it? It's a good yeah. solid. Uh, um, okay, so number eight. Um, well, we've got to have a bit of Arnie in this, but it's not Terminator. It hang is on, Total on. Recall, the original uh, Total Recall from 1990, which is, I think, for my money, his best film ever. Paul Verhoeven directed. Um, it's based on a Philip K. Dick novel called um, a short oh, story it? called We Can Remember It for You Wholesale. Oh right. Um, the story is um, lots of squibs in that movie. Yes, oh. it's well, it's it's Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> lots of flaring yeah. arms. It's Paul Verhoeven, but it's um, it's such a. It, I think it's such a great story because it's it's a mystery and it's like a because you have to think about it and it's like it, it, the, the the strange thing about it is is it does make you think about does the story work because where you know the fact that this guy's haunted by dreams of Mars and then he realizes that he's he's actually. He goes to this thing called Recall, which brings up memories. Yeah, I remember watch, re-watching it going, right, up to that point, was he, like, he was human then, but then was it after that they started arguing about he's gone mad and to inject it's, him? And, it, yeah. it, it's, got, it's like, for example, they'd they given him, you know, the, the actual job was real, but everything else was fake. They got Sharon Stone as the agent who, is, who played his wife, and then he has memories of Rachel Chickerton, the girl that he meets Melina on on Mars. So you're saying it was a, it was what he paid for or not? No, what, he what, as was, an educated film reviewer, what are you saying it is? It it was what what had happened was it the, the injection that he'd had at the age at the actual recall thing. So he went a, to there. He went there at, genuinely, and, it, and and basically his it's a there would have been a reaction to show that he he all the stuff like him being a secret agent. He was a secret agent. He yeah. wasn't a construction worker. So, right, of course, so all of that was fake. Yeah. Oh, but, okay. but he's, so he's, he's in fact a, he's in fact a secret agent. You know, so he, basically the whole film yeah. was the, 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 the journey. Yeah. Okay. So, so there was no trans. Okay. No, I but, but, but I, I just think it's a very clever, you know, the, the, the sets are great and there's some great effects in it and the gore's great. And, um, <laughs> and I think the, sh I mean, the, the first chase where he, where he's, um, he's being pursued by the agents and he, they shoot that guy and he's using the guy, the thing as a human. Oh, just yeah. that poor random, uh, uh <laughs> cool there, yeah. But it, it's, it's such, you know, you know, Verhoeven, apparently, he was influenced by the Second World War and he'd see a lot of gore. So that's why a lot of that stuff... Was, <laughs> it's was like PTSD, his career. <laughs> yeah, a bit of graphics. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, um, sort of reliving these sort of Nazi traumas. <laughs> yeah. it, but going back to what we're talking about, it's just, it, it sort of was, it sort of encompassed, you know, it was an, it was an adolescent blockbuster for adults. It yeah. was just so, there was so much action in it and, it. and I just remember seeing it in a packed house and everybody cheering yeah. and... Um, you know that kind of real, true communal cheering that yeah. you get when when you get a real, genuine, good movie. Anyway, well, because it's just so over. Like we, I was going to say, it's over best. top. It's, it's so over the top. Yeah. It, it just becomes it becomes its own thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, so that's number eight. Now, number seven. I've actually done. There is a bit of a tie here because I've actually not so much picked a summer movie as a specific summer. Oh yeah, and it's isn't that, isn't that cheating a little bit? <laughs> no, no. But but the funny thing is, is when I was thinking about this, I just kind of feel that, um, as I say, I did say beforehand it was more summer memories. But yeah. I think 
every single one of the movies here is kind of a kind of brings back a specific thing and we're unashamedly i'm gonna bring up the summer of 1982 the actual summer of um star trek 2 and the thing and poltergeist rocky 3 firefox tron and mad max 2 um if i was going to pick one it would be the thing the john carpenter film would be the one that i would pick was that 1982 yep so but and those films you read out they weren't all 1982 they were say them again star trek 2 the thing poltergeist rocky 3 firefox tron mad max 2 blade runner of course, they were all released within yeah. a, f- a few months of each wow. other between wow. May and nineteen. Um, I, I mean that it's 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 been regarded, and even you know most people have regarded it as the greatest summer of yeah. of, of cinema going. Um, and I'd be inclined to agree because Star Trek Two is one of the best sequels. Rocky Three is one of the most popular things. I mean, if I, I would also pick Rocky Three as my that was a film I saw in the summer of eighty eighty two. Yeah, you you like that film? Yeah. Um, any reason any sort of um i i hadn't seen the i actually saw rocky one and rocky two beforehand and i was only talked into it by some friends in the street but all i will say is um i don't think if you and i had been in that screening i think you would never have taken me to a movie again because i was actually cheering like crazy but because of your age was it really the first rocky film that you saw properly or did you you yeah it was the first it was the first i mean i i hadn't seen you understood i mean no no i mean rocky it was it was good entertainment i mean i mean you didn't really need to see the the previous yeah but what i'm thinking is because you'd if you'd seen the first two you wouldn't think the third was a great one. I was thinking, was that the first time as an adult you sort of knew what it, what you it were was, seeing? It was great fun. I mean, yeah. it's got Clubber Lang, you know, Mr. T, I pit it the fool, you know, <laughs> and, you know. I, it, he's, but, he's, he's great. There. So was and, this before 18? Or what, this was before, this was just before 18. Oh, so he wasn't Mr. T. No, he was Mr. T in, it was Mr. T in, um, in Rocky Three. But then he did B.A. He then be, went on to And then he went oh, on to B.A. Right. He, he was born Mr. T. Yeah. I mean, he's... He, he, well, is... he's, well, no, he's, he's, he's got a... His, his real name's like Lawrence Terman. Oh, okay. it's, Lawrence, it's... There's... You can act... He's named... I, I know he's... And he became really... He was an icon, you know. Right. And I think in terms of... And it also features Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips, you know. Yes, he made their careers, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, his theme tune was Eye of the Tiger, wasn't it? Hulk yeah, Hogan's Survivor. Trauma. It yeah. was, you know, that was, you know, that really was part of the reason. I actually, that was one of the, another of the singles that I bought. I actually bought that single. Oh, really? And I've, and it actually was one of, going back to what we were talking about before, that was one of the first soundtracks I got, which was Rocky Three. Right. And I actually bought, um, my parents got me Star Trek Two and the Rocky Three as did my Christmas presents for Christmas 82. Oh. I played those. I played I was those. How many times did you watch it? Yeah, listen to that. But um, um, who did the soundtracks for the Rockies? I think we mentioned Bill Conti. And how how many did he do? He did. Um, he did all, all of them. Yeah, oh. yeah. From Rocky. No, he didn't Not do Creed, Rocky Balboa. Creed, no, he did. You know, he did. Yeah, he did Rocky Balboa. Yeah. He did all six. The first six. Damn, okay. Um. So yeah. So. I, and it was again that sort of was. I think I saw it in August of 1982 with a whole bunch of people at my local cinema. And um, I had a few people looking at me weirdly off because I was I was cheering like it was a real boxing match. <laughs> oh, go on, Rocky! Go on, Rocky! Kick his ass! Go on, Rocky! And, and you know everybody's and the whole cinema was turning around. Well, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> so, um, so that was a wonderful summer for you. That yeah. one. So yeah. So I just want to. I would say um, if I was going to pick one out of the summer eighty-two slate, I think it would either be the thing or Rocky Three. So what are you so, going? What what are you going for out of that, like, Charles? Uh, the thing. The thing. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Come on. Okay. I mean, the thing is, is oh, hang is, on. So that's quite hot. So that was released in the summer. 
yeah. the thing. Well, it was released in America in the summer, but we got it in the autumn. But I, I, I kind of feel summer that movie, it, the thing. Yeah. But yeah, it, who did it get overshadowed by? It wasn't E.T. E.T., that was it, yeah. Yeah, because it, it came out three weeks before. It yeah. came out two weeks after E.T. And because Spielberg, he, when it opened, they wanted an uplift. You know, Carpenter said they needed an uplifting cry because E.T. was an uplifting film about an alien. And then you had The Thing, which was about this thing that was going to destroy the world. Right, so yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like at the time, audiences didn't want a, you know, they didn't want a a malevolent yeah, thing that could get inside your system and sort of rip your heart open. Yeah. It, it's not a film for everyone. I mean, I think it's a fantastic film. It's yeah. not a film for everyone. You know what I mean? It, it, like, it can't, well, you, you have to, the more I watch it now, I mean, I think it's my favorite horror film of the eighties. I think bar none. I think it just works. Yeah, it's so, right up there. If you watch it again, when's the last time you see it? Uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Ago, but it, it's also the fact that it's, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the physical effects by Rob Bettine, the actual, the idea at the heart of it, the fact that this, it's an intelligence, it's an intelligent science fiction film. Yes. And I was watching something about them recently, and the, the director said they had, the production had to pay for two weeks for them to um, just be there together and work on the script together because he wanted that sort of Howard Hawks where they were talking over each other. They wanted the natural yeah. thing. So for two weeks, they did nothing other than just piss about at the location because mm. he wanted them all to have well, that they, sort of feeling that they'd yeah. been there for so well, long. But they, they, shot at a, they shot at a location in a town called Stewart of British Columbia. And um, a per, so the story goes is um, a lot of these cast members were taking a shine to the local women. <laughs> and the local men were not really pleased. So there was a few fist fights, apparently. <laughs> but again, that was they they kind of built this really interesting um when they built the set, it was when they started it, they it was like on you know, the snow items arrived and then they the snow grew and then it became like the Antarctic set anyway. Right, I see. Um so yeah, so that that to me is the so there's that one. So those special effects were nineteen eighty two, man. Yep. That's good. Okay. Careful. So um Number six, um, this was a summer film in, the, in 1985 in the, in the States, but um, I've got to include it, and that's Back to the Future. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I, I managed to see that in the cinema. They had a re-release a while ago, about seven, eight years ago. Yeah. I managed to catch that in the cinema, and it's probably one of the best films I've seen in the cinema, I think. Really? Ever. Yeah. You, you saw it again on the re-release? Yeah, they had a re-release. Did they do anything new to it? Uh, like no, no. No, no they've, just... they've done, I mean, I, I, I think it was, it was a movie that was released without fanfare in the States, but it's just one of those that when I, when I saw it at the cinema, it's one of those like total recall. It's a movie that just genuinely is an audience crowd pleaser. I mean, everything, you know, the chemistry is great. Um, the implausibility of whether a DeLorean can actually sort of travel through time, but the, the science fiction, the idea, it, it's a real nice plot point and it does have some really fun moments. And again, it's a very thought provoking thing about, well, what would happen if if you met your parents and would you be able to tr do the, the time? Yeah, continuing? there's a thin subplot of incest <laughs> running. Just yeah, well, thin. <laughs> uh, it's quite it's quite strong, really. Yeah. Um, um, but, it, but it also has one of my one of my favourite lines in this is the one where um, Joe like it, Joey he discovers his uncle as a baby and he goes and jo and he's in prison. He goes, he's, he's standing, yeah, in the, and, in the, and he goes, um, he goes, this is Joey. He goes, so you're my uncle Joey. Better get used to these bars. Because <laughs> he's in the crib, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's yeah. The, yeah he said, you about, know, yeah. and then then the mother says, oh, um, then the mother says, oh, well, he's he's always crying. So we we when we, we take him out, he's always crying. So we just leave we, him we in. Just leave him in there. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a lot of, um, and I mean, it has one of the greatest uh, song theme songs yeah. of all time, "Power of Love" by Huey Lewis in the news. 
um, actually beat Rambo First Blood Part 2, which was the blockbuster in 1985 in the States. It actually beat, you know, Michael J. Fox as the pint-sized hero, beat Rambo. <laughs> pint-sized hero. Certainly aged better as well <laughs> yeah. than, uh, than Rambo uh, First Blood. But Rambo First Blood Part 2 was, you know, it was fun, but I mean, nobody really took it seriously. Yeah. Um, but it was, I, I loved it for um, the script and I loved it for the, um, I mean, that they, um, again, it's had a troubled production. Eric Stoltz, who was the original Marty, um, oh, you know, he basically, they, they had to recast it because Eric Stoltz wasn't necessarily hitting the right notes with the thing. So when they screened early dailies, they said, well, everything, everybody else is good, but the, you know, Eric Stoltz is not hitting the comedy. So what they did was they got on the horn to Gary David Goldberg or Spielberg got on the horn to Gary David Goldberg for family ties and said, look, we want Michael J. Fox to do it. He said, well, that's fine, but you're going to have to work around us. You know, and because Meredith Burn Baxter Burney, who was the mother in Family Ties, had just got pregnant, and they said, "No, no, we want Michael J. Fox to do it." So he he actually did the TV series, then worked overnight oh. to do the sequences, oh, okay. and you know, it proved to be um, it proved to be an apt choice. So yeah, so that's my next choice. Okay. Um, so number five, well, I've got to include this, and it is Greece, nineteen seventy-eight. Well, um, fair enough. Yeah, Beauty School Dropout is uh, is a great song. But it, it's like the, because it was, for me, I always remember when the film arrived and it seemed to me you you could not watch Top of the Pops without a Grease song playing. They must have played everything from Summer Nights to, I mean, You're the One That I Want was one of the biggest hits of 1978. I mean, the amount of times it would hit number one and they'd always play the climactic scene from, um, you know, it's a weird spoiler because it's actually that they played like the final sequence of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John sort of singing You're the One That I Want because that was the only video they had. And yeah. they, I mean, they, they played Sandy, they played Summer Nights, they played Grease Lightning. Um, yeah, Hopelessly Devoted to You. Um, I think Frankie Valley Grease. I mean, that was the actually funny. Frankie Valley's Grease was actually the one thing which was actually taken from a TV show. Oh. Um, which was written by by the Bee Gees. Barry, oh, okay. you know, they wrote, um, you know, Greece was written by Barry Gibb. What? Uh, as, as the, the, Bee Gees, the Bee Gees, you know, because the Bee Gees wrote a lot of songs. Like, yeah. They, they um, because they just, they were coming off Saturday Night Fever. Travolta was coming off Saturday Night Fever. Oh. He was commissioned to do, he was contracted to do Greece as oh, his next see. film. And then, um, you know, and then Barry Gibb wrote Grease, which I think is a great, oh, yeah. I, lo I love that song. And you enjoyed the film other than the music? Is there a good song? I think it, it holds up, re yeah. it, it holds up remarkably well. I think it works well as a, um, I think it's, I prefer it to Dirty Dancing, which was a, a summer film in 1987, but it works. I think it's, it's a movie I love for the, you know, the chemistry between John Travolta and Livy Newton John is a great, is a is a great teaming. I also like Stockard. I like the the Rizzo and um, Kaniki and and the other characters. You know, after it, and it, it's so it is so kind of unique and got such a great look. And it's it's kind of the school you want to go to, <laughs> you know. And you want you 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 want to date a pink lady, you know. It's like, <laughs> um, I it, want to be a T bird, you know. <laughs> it, it's yeah, yeah, but uh, and it's it. it it's a good. It's. I think it's a very good adaptation of a musical. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. It wasn't it was a musical. It wasn't that. Yeah. Jim. Jim Jacobs. Uh. Jim and. Uh. Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey wrote the original stage version. So that uh, was that. that yeah. It was a stage. It's, it's. I mean, it started out. Funnily enough, Greece was actually a bit of a low key 
stage show when it started. It's a bit like Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror Show, which was the hot ticket at the time. I mean, and and basically it evolved on broad, off Broadway and then Broadway, and then it became Robert Stigwood secured the rights. Um, Richard Gere played Danny on Broadway. He was he was actually oh, in the stage right. show, um, but Travolta was like the was the first choice for the for the stage show, and then he became the first choice for the right, musical. Of course, yeah. Um, but it, it's it, it's it's a you know the the songs are so you know it, it's a it's a it's a musical that works both on the big screen and it, it, it it's kind of when you compare it to things like West Side Story and when you look at the the, the evolution of the musical from the 50s MGM ones to, um, you know, to West Side Story to, um, you know, things like Hello Dolly, you know, it, it has such a, you know, it has such a great energy to it. I mean, The Greatest Showman is this year, this generation's yeah. Greece. I mean, they're doing, they do a sing-along at the Prince Charles. But it, it's, it's, it, it's such a, but it's such a summer movie. You know, for me, it's like right from the outset where they're on the beach and, you know, the, you know, they're in, you know, the Rydell High and there's that. It's such a colorful and, um, you know, colorful thing. And, you know, in the, in the high school, and he also talks about the end of, it's the end of the term, you know, everybody's sort of, it's like the very last, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, and they're coming back from the summer as well. So there's, there's such a summary theme about it because it's the beginning of the, right, yeah. the next term. You're watching their whole summer play out. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, you know, and it's a summer romance. It's, you know, you know, um, you know, Danny and Sandy is like another of these great romances anyway. So. Right. Yeah. So that's I was, Greece. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, no, um, it's, it's a good adaptation of a, it's a good film of a musical. Right, okay. Because I was thinking like Le, Le, Les Mis. Yeah. I didn't think worked as a film. And I, I didn't particularly like. I didn't. I didn't feel that it was necessarily my, my overly biggest, cinematic. Yeah, you know? my biggest problem with Les Miserables is Tom Hooper did not stage it cinematically. It that's, was, that's what I'm trying my to say. Pro- yeah. yeah, the problem is, is that the he had all these. I'm sure you picked up on it as well. But the funny thing is that you'd have all these great sequences, or you'd have these spectacle sequences. But he had a prob habit of leaving the camera where it was. So the visual effects, you know, like some of the CGI stuff, it would be like. There's a sequence where Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe pulling they're in they're in the water pulling it. Yeah. But he didn't use he didn't move the camera enough and it was a very strange So it didn't have a large feel to the show. And it, and it was so it was it. so long it was like I was like and I, I just remember seeing and it just isn't moving for me. It was it, yeah. was it was an odd it was it was very odd for for something that is an in cream in something that is designed to be very cinematic and an eagerly anticipated thing. If you look at like the greatest showman and Greece, the the camera moves. You know, there's you know the sequences when when you look at like West Side Story, for example, like West Side Story, from the very outset, the opening shots of West Side Story are of of bird's eye shots of um, New York, and the camera's constantly moving along. And then the camera moves into the um, to the riffs and the jets downstairs. Right. Okay. In Greece, for example, you open with this spectacular shot of, you know, the, on the beach, and it's just shots of the ocean. Um, the Greatest Showman, for example, again, is very cinematic. With Les Miserables, it's like you're watching a stage play. You're not yeah, right, you're, yeah. Watching, you're watching a, a big budget stage right. play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it didn't and it, feel like a film. A lot of people, don't get me wrong, we're not, we're not arguing because a lot of people liked it, and Les Miserables is a one of the most successful musicals of all time. Yeah. 
but it wasn't cinematic. So Charles Kirby, two thumbs down for Les Mis, the it, movie. It didn't work for me. <laughs> I, I sort of sat through it. I think I bought it for my mum on DVD. and watched it on <laughs> Christmas and I was just like... Uh, Are you sure it wasn't given to you and you just passed on the present? <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I somehow acquired it. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> okay, so... We're into my top four now. Ooh, um, oh, so getting serious. Yeah, no more yeah. stocking yeah. fillers. This is the <laughs> well. Um, I've I've sort of used these as pointers, and I think rather than sort of pick them as a joint uh, fourth, I'm going to pick uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Right. So we're on the Star Wars now. Where does this come in the sort of pantheon of Star Wars films? Is this the it first is one? The second, second film. One. Second oh, film. Like episode Star- seven. If you go. 19 well it's, is this the one with the thing on four legs yeah the toy it was yeah. with Hoth and Yoda and I'm your is this the first appearance of Yoda is it yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, um, I mean it was I saw it on opening day 1980 it was you know I mean the 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 sheer excitement of watching it was was there was palpable so how many years between the first and this one three. Oh, just three okay three um imagine that nowadays i mean that's that's it's crazy i remember i remember seeing the vivaldi teaser as it's become known before the black hole they showed a there was a two-minute trailer which is on youtube which is brilliant which is um it goes hand a long time ago in a galaxy far far away hand layer and the princess's hand luke hands and the princess story did not end with at the end of destruction of death star it continues in the Empire Strikes Back, and they had all the, you know, the, a lot of these great sequences. They still hadn't finished the effects. But today, funny enough, although everybody regards it as the greatest Star Wars film, there was a hint of a disappointment when it first came out in 1980. A lot of people didn't rate it as much as as the original. There was a little the character bit, or the they, it's well, a diff- it's a different it, tone. It's a different isn't film. It? Yeah. It's got a different oh, tone, but, but it's like the you know it. Because we we'd we'd had this wonderful experience in nine you know in nineteen seventy seven seventy eight watching you know Luke and and this kind of real great adventure which was escapism, and then they went left field with it because it was like, you know, the whole thing of making it more grown up with Luke and Le- Luke Han and Leia's thing, and then of course this much more darker story going on, and then of course that revelation, you know, the revelation at the end. I yeah. think I. I'm curious. Watching it first time was that shocking? Because I've I, I sort of grew up, and I, before I saw the film, I, I sort of had heard it. It yes. was it was no seriously when we were when I was in the cinema. I mean, actually, just because just before then, he Vader had chopped Luke's hand off. That's the funny thing. Now oh. it's this film was suitable for all. It was a use certificate, yeah. in, oh, and right, it was it was such a you know we, we were kind of like when he says Obi Wan never told you what happened to and. Also, that scene because Luke is hanging on for dear life at the t- on that 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 like um, that gang yeah. that like that that platform, platform yeah. and he's about to and he's sort of laying on there and it's such a genuine cliffhanger and then of course he goes come with me and then he drops off and it's like and then you know there was debates about well whoa did that did he really say that it, it's such a <laughs> it's such a powerful um, you know it's such a powerful statement as a as a movie per se. And now, nowadays, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, I mean, it's, you know, nowadays I'm inclined to agree with anybody who thinks it's, it's a very, it's a real science fiction epic. I think it is one of the best star Wars films compared to actually with the, with the later ones, for example, 
Um, I think it it is up there as one of the best. I mean, I would put Star Wars, Empire, um, Revenge of the Sith, and The Force Awakens as the four that do. Is it true that he doesn't actually say the words, I am your father, Luke? He does, but, but he does no, say it. when the, some you know, it goes, no, Luke, I am your father. Oh, okay. I am but your father. When they Luke, filmed it, yeah. But when they filmed it, the story goes, and as Luke Mark Hamill said when he was on Graham Norton promoting last year, he goes, I'm going to, this is what it was shot like, I'm going to tell you the truth. Obi Wan killed your father. But at the very, but before they filmed the main thing, he goes, I'm, he said, like, Irvin Kershaw went to him, director, and said, right, this, we're going to tell you something now. He had the piece of paper and he says, George knows it. I know it. George knows it. I know it. And we're going to tell you. So if it leaks, oh, we wow. know it was you. Oh, that's so and cool. And then they, then they, they opened the paper and it said, Luke, I am your father. Oh, wow. So they, it was very much, it, it kind of is, for me, it's the singular most shocking moment in Star Wars history. <laughs> Okay. Without question, and I, I think it's cool anyway. So, anyway, so that's my number four. So, what's better than this? So, we've got Star Trek. I thought that would have been your top one. Super. Okay, so Star Wars, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, um, what did I say? Star Trek. Okay, <laughs> so we've already talked about, um, we've already talked about Bond Summer. So, I'm gonna, oh. at number three, I'm going to be picking, um, The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, okay, the 1977 Bond, which for me is the I think was one of the first. I mentioned it already that I did yeah. see it in 1980. But it's the, I think it defines the, I think it's Roger Moore's best Bond movie. So which one is this now? What's the story here? Uh, the story is two nuclear submarines, one Russian, one British. Jaws, are, this one? Jaws, yeah. yeah the, okay. it was it's the, a submarine one. Yeah. yeah. So um, Bond it basically teams up with Triple X, played by Barbara Brack, to find out why these submarines have gone missing. It's effectively a reworking of You Only Live Twice. Okay. Rather than spacecraft, it's actually submarines. Because the, um, I think I mentioned this, the, the original book is actually a very weird one because it's about a woman. The, the main protagonist is a woman in the Canadian mountains. And Bond is a sub-character. Okay. Doesn't turn up later. The book itself has got, is is it's actually one of the lesser james bond novels and ian fleming gave broccoli and saltzman the time to write said well you can use the title but you can't use the book it's it's an odd one it's not really a grace it's it's a very odd um it's i think they take he takes on gangsters you know two gangsters are after this woman and that's why it's called the spy love me because it's about this woman who bond saves she's the protagonist so yeah she's the lead protagonist so it's it's a very strange book it's not there's no gadgets there's no glow felt or anything it was something that fleming that um that fleming wrote as an afterthought it's also spider me is also the first film where uh, albert broccoli cubby broccoli was sole producer because harry saltzman had got into trouble and he'd sold the rights to albert broccoli for the you know to do it and also because of the troubles, because Man with the Golden Gun had not done all that well, um, he wanted to make this one spectacular. Okay. So thanks to ski jumper Rick Sylvester, he created one of the greatest opening sequences ever where he went to Baffin Island to shoot this thing. Um, and again, Prince Charles, when that when they completed this and it was edited, Prince Charles wanted saw it twice at the Pinewood Studios. It was extraordinary so that's not the bond that opens up when the um the flag on the parachute yeah yeah oh it is that one, yeah, yeah. Um, where was that shot 
It was shot in, in Ireland. It was shot in Sardinia, Scotland, um, Baffin Island. No, Baffin Island is um, is up um, in um, near Canada. Oh, right. And they okay. went to a glacier, and and right. John Glenn took a second unit director. John Glenn went and filmed it with Rick Sylvester, um, and he got that gig because there was a um, there was an advert of him skiing off a mountain. And Rick Sylvester was this daredevil who actually was willing. He goes, well, I can show you. I can do this. He goes, I'm, I'm, you know, he's like this extreme sports geek who did it. Um, it was shot in Sardinia. And, of course, they built the Bond stage, the 007 stage, which is still in, in use today. Oh. Um, and it's basically the interior of the, the set, the actual interior of the submarine is actually shot on this, this tankard and everything else. But it was, it kind of restored the um, Bond saga to its... Um, thing and it was just a great thing marvin hamlish's stories um things great um it, it kind of really cement i think it really cemented the template didn't it? yeah right, suppose, okay yeah. yeah so that was what your number three number three so that's quite big films i'm trying to think what was your top would would one of your top three don't say it involve a whip and a hat yeah. <laughs> well, well, I well, I, I <laughs> mean, to be, to be perfectly honest with you, I think, um, this to me, for me, um, is as near perfection as you can get. Which and is... I think you know what it's going to be. Um, but it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, there we go. um, which is the first and still the best of the, uh, Indiana Jones films. Um, it's as near perfection as you can get. Um, I love it for um, everything, the, the, the performances. It's got the best female sidekick in um, Karen Allen. Um, it's got a great villain in Paul Freeman as Belloc, who, yeah. who outwits, who's actually the one, I think he's the one villain who actually plays psychologically on Indy as he does on, you know, you know the amount of times where he, you know, he, he sort of outwits him. Well, here's the thing about the raid, the Indiana Jones films. Indy never actually gets anything at the end. If you think about it, every single thing he ever goes after, he never gets. He's just foiling things. No, it's the, no. But if you think about it, it's like, why is he there? But he he, he goes he goes after antiquities. So yeah. in the first one, it's like he um he basically is recruited by some government agents to go after the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, okay, right. um, at the outset of the film in Peru, he goes after this idol in. Um, this idol in this temple in Peru with his, his, uh, his psychic Satipa, who's played by Alfred Molina, who basically is a British character actor who has basically done so many great movies over the years. He was in he's Spider-Man. Great. He, he's he's spa- great. He was actor. Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. He was in um, An Education as Kerry Mulligan's father. Um, and it was basically a tribute to the cliffhanger series of the um, cliffhanger series of the um, of the 1930s and 40s, so the Republic series. So it was um, it was the, the, as the story goes. Um, George Lucas went to Hawaii um, the day after Star Wars opened when he finished mixing the final mix of Star Wars, and he met up with Steven Spielberg on a beach in Hawaii, and they were constructing a sandcastle. And then <laughs> what? <laughs> they just there to they, no, they were they were constructed. And then basically, um, um, George Lucas said to him, "Well, what would you like to do next?" And he said, "Well, I'd like to direct James Bond." And at one point, Spielberg was being oh, yeah. flagged up to do a James Bond movie, but the Bond producer said, "Well, we're going to see how the shark film does." Oh right. So um, George Lucas said, "Well, I've actually got something better than Bond," and he said, "This is the birth of Indiana Jones," which was again 
one film that he conceived around the same time as um, Star Wars. But he said he he liked it, but he he got so involved with Star Wars because um, he was also also George Lucas was responsible for Apocalypse Now. In terms of what he created, he was responsible for the story behind the Apocalypse oh, Now. Okay, so he gave the concept to Francis Coppola. Right, okay, but what he did was he t- he took some of the motifs in Apocalypse Now he written in his script and then he transferred them to Star Wars. Oh. So the rebellion, like rebel right. rebels with Vietnamese as rebels, yeah, the Empire as America, right? Okay, um, but there's there's so much great stuff in this movie. I mean, it, it's for me the. The first Raiders actually is one of the most influential adventure films of all time because when you think of all the Marvel films now and all the production design and everything else you see in them, I mean, you can see them things in today, things like, you know, everything like The Mummy and National Treasure and yeah. and Romance in the Stone. Who was the Harrison Ford before then? Was he a big thing? Harrison Ford, well, he'd just come off Star Wars. And if you want to, and also as well, um, if it had gone a different way, Tom Selleck might well have been Indiana Jones. Yes. So this was the, this is the story. This is what had happened. Um, Tom Selleck had actually had a very successful audition for Raiders. And he was doing Magnum PI at the time. And CBS refused to let him go. He refused, they refused to let him go because Magnum was becoming successful. And then Harrison Ford had been, Harrison Ford had actually done, um, you know, and he, and what, had, what it was, was Spielberg, they were still having trouble casting it. Anyway, George Lucas said, well, why don't you go and see Empire Strikes Back? And when he saw, when he saw Ford do Han Solo in, as he was in Empire, they had the thing anyway. Right. And it's, I mean, funny enough, it's the one role that I don't think anybody else could, you know, it, it Strangely enough, I don't think they could reboot it because Harrison Ford is so so identified. Yeah. Well, this is the thing: is they're talking about doing a fifth one. They are, they? It's and a, I don't know how because I mean, bless him, Harrison Ford is in his. He 70s. wouldn't even be a bit part now. No, he? he's, he's he's and he's deaf, and he is not going to be actioning about. And I don't know how the, you're right. I don't know how the franchise can really go on without well, the, well, him being a central well, actiony part well, of there it. There is a possibility because they can. You know, I, I think like because I think it will be. You know, I think it's it's going to be the last one anyway. But I mean, it, I think what they can kind of play with some of that idea as well. Because if you look at, I mean, I think there is a possibility it might be interesting to do. But I think they'll, um, you know, I mean, I think Eastwood tried it similarly with Gran Torino because he he kind of played that kind of character, that aging character. And I think if if they do it right, they just face up to the fact he's like the Terminator. He's, he's old. Yeah, he's eight, yeah, yeah. and the, and it does have a um, you know for for me it's a um, you know but but I think let's celebrate the fact that you know he was he he such he it was such an iconic character in the um, you know in the first film and you know the boulder and the the shooting of the Arab on the streets and the um, and the visual effects of the arc and the um, I mean, one one of my favorite moments is is actually when is in the canyon where Indy has the bazooka and he goes, "I'm going to blow up the arc, Rene," and he goes, "Okay, you win." Yeah, blow it up. And it, what's great is about that sequence is that you anticipate that there's going to be a visual effects sequence because you want to you want to see what the art's going to be right, like to yeah. blow up. <laughs> but then it it sort of doubles back. Um, it has one of the best visual gags ever which is when ronald lacey who's like the in the, the evil glass right, guy yeah. with the thing the gestapo guy 
Yeah, the Scarpa guy with the <laughs> with the coat hanger. Yeah, with the, which which starts oh, out yes, like a yes. nunchucker, and then he he does it up like that. But there's also, um, and of course, it has John Rice Davis, who was Gimli later on mm-hmm. as as um, as um, as as Salah. You know, he's psychic. Salah. Salah is the, is 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 Egyptian psychic. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, contacts and yeah. yeah. But it, but it's and it, you know there's there's just a series of great sequences. I mean, the Nepal bar, you know, the drinking session, the the shootout in the Nepal bar, the the the, the famous desert chase, the fight on the plane, um, you know, with Pat Roach who sort of becomes, um, you know, what happens with him, which was choreographed by Vic Armstrong, who was his double, and Vic Armstrong was was recruited to work on it because he looked so much like Harrison Ford. Right. And at one point, when he arrived on the set, he was he went he went away to get an earlier lunch, and Spielberg was calling, going Harrison, Harrison, and then grabbed him by the shoulder and turned him around. He goes, "You're not Harrison." He goes, "I know I'm not Harrison." He goes, "I'm Vic Armstrong." He goes, "What are you doing here?" He goes, "I arrived last night. I'm a stuntman." And he called over the assistant director and said, "This guy looked like Harrison. I thought it was Harrison." He goes, "Yeah." Um, and there was a famous joke where um, Harrison Ford said to um, an interviewer, "He said, yeah, we both look alike.'" He spent three weeks with my wife before she realised. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's, that's your number, number two. two. Hang on. So let me think. So that's quite a big one. I thought you would have peaked at Bond and him. So I'll give us a hint. What year are we now then? What will this one be? Your number one. Well, um, okay. So is it recent? Or are we still? No, no. I'm. I'm saying. Well, I did say to you. I did say to you the summer blockbusters from 1975 onwards. Okay, okay. But bigger than you, the number one over James Bond and Indiana Jones. I don't think it's going to, you're not going to say E.T. No. No. Is it obscure or is it no, quite obvious? No, it's not obscure. It's not obscure. Are we and talking you, about the one that kickstarted it all, basically? The, the concept. Okay. So what's gone? What is it? Jaws. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So um, I think you can't, I, I have to rate this. The reason I picked it as number one is because A, it is still one of the finest blockbusters of all time. It is the movie that revolutionized cinema going in the world. Um, it was the most watched movie on TV in 1981. It premiered and, and many more people saw it at the time. Yeah. For a while, it was the most watched film on BBC t- on ITV. Um, and it's, Again, it's a summer movie. It's about, you know, it's about a summer. It's about a shark that terrorizes in a summer. But why do you put that over the other two? The, the, the James Bond? Um, what, what, you, what is it? Well, it's... Is it, it just for you again? It's, it's for, for... I mean, right, for yeah. me, I mean, I, I kind of... When I was putting together the list, I, I kind of felt, well, what criteria would I have to do for the top summer movies? And I, I, I think it would be very difficult to exclude Jaws um, because I think... I think it's a very grounded movie. I think it works really well. I think it it's got great performances. It's a great, you know, it it is scary. If you have never seen it before, there's about five or six genuinely scary movies right from the outset. The uh, the music which we've discussed yeah. in the movie soundtrack things. Um, in terms of the storytelling, like it, you have to be reminded how how many times or how much time is spent actually seeing the shark for a, a film about well, a shark is nothing but when you think about it when when you think about the whole economic of the economy of storytelling in that film it is it is so quick and moves very yeah, quickly yeah. so you have you know you, st- you st- it's not a movie that kind of you know there is a suggestion at the outset i mean if we didn't know anything about the making of it 
we wouldn't have batted an eyelid about the fact that it was a shark that didn't work or we didn't know it. it's just because like you said in the movie soundtracks in the movie were you know the music and the editing yeah, so, yeah. and you know the performances you know the kind of you know the, the you know the um you know a, a police chief at odds with the locals because he's trying to do a job and then you've got a mayor who's who's determined to keep the, the summer open and then there's some interesting visual things like you know, there are little subtle things like, you know, when, when he, when he's on the phone and then they have that close up of the actual, you know, the same shark attack, you have that yeah, wonderful right. moment where, um, you know, just after the kid and the boy is killed where that, where, um, Roy Shard is in his, in his study and he's looking at the pictures and he's going through them and, and, you know, and, um, the wife comes up and goes out and then he, he turns around right, abruptly yeah. and he goes, where, where, where's, um, and they're having a drink and he goes, well, where, where's his, where's, where's your son? He's sitting in it. And he's sitting at the end of the jetty and he goes, Oh, get out the bar, get out. The bar. And then of course she picks up the, picks up the book. And then there's this picture of a shark <laughs> biting me. He goes, Michael, <laughs> would you get out the boat, please? <laughs> That's what says, yeah. Um, but it, it's like the, you know, the whole thing of, um, you know the, the the actual monologue that Roy, Roy Robert Shaw does about the Indianapolis. That's a really haunting moment. Yeah, which is a, a, I, so I watched it. I watched that a couple of days ago on the clip on YouTube, and that's genuinely the most horrifying yeah, thing in horrendous. the entire film. It's just a dude yeah. sat there talking, mm. and it's very calmly. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't he doesn't you know get emotional necessarily, but like it's haunting yeah. in that sequence. But I also like the other sequences is when the Kintner boy gets killed and you have that sequence where it's in medium long shot and you see the, the boys being dragged down and then he gets pulled down and you see, you know, the guy, the kids being pulled down and there's like blood at the side. And then of course there's the famous trombone shot of Roy Scheider, you know, where, oh, when it comes you know, where, where, yeah. which I think the, the, which cranks it. It's no, I, I'm, I think also it's also very funny at times. I like the, um, I mean, for me, it's the um, the sequence where um, where Richard Dreyfus first meets Matt Hooper, and he and he says, you know, those people in the Fantail launcher, none of them are going to make it out the harbor alive. <laughs> well, I also like the sequence where you know, it, just after the mother of Alex Kittner's just slapped him, and he's at home and he's drinking, and then you know, the kids, he's the kids mimicking him as he's drinking his beer, right, yeah, and right. he goes, he goes. He goes, and then um, and then Richard Dreyfus comes down and he sits with the he, he says, "Oh, is anybody eating this and stuff?" And then there's um, you know the bit where you know they cut open the shark and then there's the um, he, the number plate. He goes, he didn't eat a card, and he goes, "No, that was dropped in the river." But there's also that there's also in terms of the sequence, like the big sign, and they're talking to just after where they go to Ben Gardner's boat and Richard Dreyfus is looking at the thing, and they they're talking on the on the actual beach or the actual grassy thing. And then the camera pulls back and it, there's actually on the sign, it goes, help shark. He goes, he goes, I want those people hung up by this man. He goes, Mr. Vaughn, would you take a look at those si that sign? These proportions are correct, but it, it's, it's just a great series of, um, you know, I, I think I can't, you know, I mean, I, I probably could look at Raiders and I could look at star Wars and I could look at the bomb movies, but I think, if I was going to talk of a singular film yeah, or a singular yeah, yeah, thing yeah, like yeah. that, it, it still is above and beyond the, um, you know, I think that will, that, that to me is my choices. So what year was that? 1975. So a bit of an obscure question, but see, I wouldn't go in the river was in the sea now because in my back of my mind, it's sharks. So mm -hmm. I can't remember a time when Jaws wasn't there. Were people bothered about sharks before Jaws? 
Um, <laughs> Were sharks a thing back well, then? They, well, the <laughs> thing is, is, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got well, an irrational well, view. Well, not, of, yeah, no, no, no. But, but what it is, it's kind of like Psycho with showers. Because after, you know, when Psycho yeah. was released, people didn't want to take a shower after Psycho. <laughs> but, but by the same token, there's... Um, <laughs> but, but funny enough, there is a very... A comedian, when they did Jaws... One of the summer sequels, Jaws of the Revenge, was the 1987 film, which basically was a bit of a thing. But this is the funny thing about it is like um, a comedian pointed it out. I said, look, you know, Jaws, I, can't, I don't understand Jaws of Revenge. Look, these people, you know, they've had a tough time with these bloody sharks. So what did they do? They, to get away from a shark, they go to the beach. <laughs> and he said, you know, why, you know, they should have moved to Chicago. I mean, let's face it, you know, what the shark's going to do? Is he going to go, is he going to go up to shark and go up in the left? <laughs> but it, but it's like the, yeah. um, but again, it, it was so singular because again, it was coupled with, um, you know, it, because of the whole, because it was the first mass success where it was the blockbuster where you had a wide release. You know, the whole idea, because it's it's also influential because with things like Avengers, you know, Avengers Endgame or Avatar, this whole thing where you release something on 4,000 screens. In, in, in 19, from 1975 onwards, it was a few hundred screens to start off with. In 1977, for example, The Spy Love Me, for example, was released on like 300 screens in the States. Star Wars, for example, expanded from 32 screens to 43 screens to 100 screens. By the end of the summer, it had been playing in so many times. And it was just that they had to crank out so many any, so many prints because they'd done it. The problem was is when they got to do the remastering of the special editions, they had a major problem because they'd made so many prints off the original negative that it needed a lot of work. Oh. So the problem is, is they had to go back to the drawing board. They had to take the original negative. So when that, when Lucas decided to do the 20th anniversary, you know, the prints, they, they'd use so many, it was like making so many copies of the same film. So of course they had to regroup it. Now with the advent of digital technology, they were able to redo it and then remaster it, which is why today with the digital intermediate stuff, the fact that they can remaster things and include it. And they did it when, when they celebrated the 100th anniversary of Universal, they went back to redo Jaws. Jaws was one of those movies that they remastered. So when you watch it on ITV4, you're actually watching the remastered oh, version. Okay. When you watch the Bond movies on ITV4, that if you're at the very end of the film, they always say the digital restoration by Lowry. You know, I do notice that sometimes. Yeah. With the old films, so yeah. the thing about it is, is they do... Um, so what they've... When you watch the... When the film was first released on TV, it was like four by three pan and scan. So you were watching it from a direct copy of the of the thirty five mil prints. So they again the, the labs, you know, you know, they did films like uh, The Sting was another one. There's a whole load of them which they did as special editions for the hundredth anniversary of Universal because they they kind of picked maybe thirteen titles. Um, but it, again, that's the that's the whole thing. It was like um, and interesting enough. Um, like with Jurassic Park, they put a warning on the bottom of the poster for Jaws um, when it was first released in the UK in 1975. Some scenes may be intense for younger children. Oh, okay. Um, but uh. they had, to, but when they reissued it, they actually had to upgrade it to a 12A rather than a, right. an A because it was an A in 1975. Yeah. Because there was no, there was only U, A, double A, and X. Um, so it's, it, it, there's so much about that, that film that I think 
you know, I could watch that again and again yeah. and again. I mean, it doesn't scare me. That it does. It it doesn't scare me anymore. But it's just great to have. It's like something like a CD. You watch it on TV, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. great. And it, a, it's a very, it's an incredibly well made film. That's yeah. it. It's a and good and that's storytelling. Yeah. yeah, and and from a director's point of view, it's an incredibly well made film because it's kind of because in a different director's hands, um, it, it it's a it's a it could be fairly trashy kind of film. Well, and, the, yeah, and the, the fact that there's hundreds of uh, knockoffs, yeah, about about a monster, about a whatever that, yeah. you know that's out there, um, that do it that didn't do it anywhere near as good. Mm. Just shows like that really. I think yeah, the, the Spielberg, yeah, perfect the, the music, yeah. yeah, the tension of it all, yeah. But the funny thing is, is the original novel. Um, oh, it was a novel. It was a novel. Yeah. Peter Benchley. It was. It was. How do you David, make that work? Richard Zanuck and David Brown sort of in 1973, 74, first heard of the book. Um, and it was in galley form at the time, which is like a pre-release thing. Right. And they snapped up the rights for it. Yeah. But the funny thing is in the book, Matt Hooper, the Richard Dreyfus character, has an affair with Brody's wife. No. In the book. What they did was they stripped back the story to make it more like a shark tale. Yeah. Stuff. Huh. Um, and also it's the Quint story. So... The, the book itself, I think, is not as... They, they did some very clever things with the, with the adaptation. They made it a bit more like a monster movie, like a real seafaring story. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, the Quint story, I think in the book, it's more about Quint's obsession with a shark. It kind of becomes like his, his folly. He, he goes after his shark because he has to. It's not a story like i mean it, it opens with the killing of the girl in the in the book in the book it opens with the killing of the girl but like with most things with novels they the, the subtext changes yeah. you know if you read certain novels it's like um so i think it works better it works much better as a film have you read the book yeah what's the point of putting that story in about the affair what does that do that surely that de- they eliminate no that from- was that was what benchley wrote yeah, that's what I mean. But what, 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 why would you have that in the story of the Jaws? No, because in novel, in the novel, there's like you can do more. In, you can actually do more in a novel. But it seems you know, quite off of the topic to yeah. have. Oh, there. Well, well, ben, well, it was one of those. Do things. They, does he know? Do they find out? I, Is I that part of the story? I don't think he does. I think that's the that's just unless one. it's just to make him a bastard or her yeah, a, but yeah. it would but it would make it would have made it would have got in the way of what the story was about which That's is about I mean, a shark yeah. terrorizing but you know Penchley's original idea was what would happen if a shark terrorized a small town right and you know luckily they saw the galley form and they they bought the rights and the rest i've got of a little season. i watched the song about the making of george's last year and it's interesting if you watch it now they said there was a, f- a one take deal that they left in the film um do you know what it is do you know what I guess there's one bit in the film oh. that was so good and it's accidental so they left it in. It's the bit where, um, you know, the woman's been pulled underneath the water and she gets pulled and she looks around and then she gets pulled again. Do you remember that bit? Well, there's a bit in it where the, there's a woman, I can't remember what's around it, but she's in there, I think it's at night time, and she gets pulled and she tugs and she goes down and comes up and she gets pulled again. Well, when they filmed that, the, the woman was saying that when they pulled her, they had a guy underneath to pull her down, she wasn't ready. So she, he pulled it down. She said, I've got a gulp of water and then came up and said, I'm trying to breathe. And he pulled me back down again. Yeah. And it, when you watch it, you're watching somebody drown and yeah. you watch it. That's not acting, man. Like when you well, see you, her face, well, you know, that was Spielberg who did that. Did what? Spielberg pulled her down himself. Yeah. Oh, really? That's the famous. Yes. Story. Yeah. Cause she well, said she was screaming at them when she, <laughs> because she wasn't ready. Yeah. Like, just well, here's the thing is, um, Funny enough, you know, um, you know, um, when Alan Rickman filmed his death in Die Hard, 
No. Well, there's a scene. There's a scene at the B end of Die Hard. Oh, you mean when Alan, Alan, Alan Whitman falls down? The same yeah. thing again. They said we're going to do it on one, two, three, on three. Right. Well, they did it on two. So this, you know, the scene when you see his face, that's actually um, that's a genuine thing because they'd actually done the same thing again. Right. So again, the famous story is Spielberg did that. They, he actually pulled her down under the water because yeah. that, that's what he to wanted get, to, yeah. to get the thing. So. It was um, not, so, but the I don't I feel bad because like with the Exorcist when they talk about um, the woman when she gets pulled down towards the the yeah. cupboard and she fucks yeah. her back up and she said she was fucking screaming everything at them because she really got slammed. Because again, it was it. that was the same thing again. The yeah, actual because said, you know the physical thing where because she was saying be careful and yeah. so the director said to the guy fucking let her have it like really yeah. fucking and she he fucked her up but the the girl on the bed as well mm. pulling up down she said well, it came loose and it was fucking up her well, back as she was going up and down well going back to the exodus freaking actually talked about this in the about the priest when when father Karras is laying on the ground yeah and he and he and apparently what he did was he he actually slapped him he said look he, you know yeah. he did a genuine <laughs> thing where he did like um he said do you trust me do you trust me and he went bam yeah. And it's like um, he said he cried, yeah, yeah. Cry. and also as well, it's like with um, I think Freakin' did the same thing where he had an argument with um, Gene Hatman on the set of The French Connection, where he's st- where he's stand. There's a scene where he's standing outside the restaurant going after Charnier, and he's doing like the mind, hands. Mind. He's going, the, you know, he's doing like the things, and he's grabbing the hands like that, and he's going like, you know, I want you to look like you're effing cold and stuff like that. And he couldn't, Hatman couldn't do it. So, but those are the kind of things where. You know, there's a lot of things where, you know, if you go back to Raiders, for example, the shooting of the Arab, that was an accident. That was a total improvised situation because Spielberg was determined to get out. Yeah. And they had this wonderfully choreographed fight, short fight between Indy and the Arab. And basically everybody was losing it. And, and so the, go- the, the, the accounts of where this, the accounts of how whoever came up with this is actually weird. But um, Spielberg was wanted out he wanted out of the shoot he goes look i'm you've only got two hours because that's it so they said well and then harrison's um harrison ford's on the way he said well look we could save ourselves a lot of time if we do this and when they got to the set harrison ford said to spielberg although different he said well why don't we just shoot him no <laughs> and then basically the whole thing because again it's a scene where you're you're expecting this big fight yeah but then all of a sudden right, yeah. but then all of a sudden they he takes out the gun and shoots it and then of course there's a running gag in temple of doom where he he sees the two thuggies and then of course he tries to go into that and of course he doesn't have the um he doesn't have the actual gun in his holster uh-huh. um so yeah no there, there's some interesting um i mean you know I, the funny thing is we Nowadays, we look at the technicalities of Jaws. You know, we, we, we look at the fact that it was a mechanical shot that didn't work because we're more astute about what's happened. Um, there's a great book called um, The Making of Jaws by Matt Taylor, which has a lot of great um, pictures in it. Carl Gottlieb did a, um, the, Jaws, um, the Jaws Diary, um, which is a Jaws journal, which is a really great book, which is a paperback book huh. where he talks about the... Um, you know, about the whole thing and about um, the fact that Roy Scheider cracked at one point um, because he, the food was awful. <laughs> <coughs> but, um, and the cameras, they, were, they said they were so new to things that they didn't realize that the salt water was going to fuck up the cameras and they didn't realize. Well, at one, po- well, at one so point when the orca sank, apparently the camera, um, a camera, a really expensive camera sank to the bottom oh, of it. No. And then what they had to do was they had to, they had to actually, um, get it keeping in water and then take it to the labs right and miraculously 
not a single frame was hurt. Bloody hell. So it was like the, um, yeah. but if you read Carl Gottlieb's book, The Jaws Diary, it's a really great book. It's a, it's in the whole history of it. And he gives a whole diary. It's, um, it's good. And then as I say, Matt Taylor, there's a really nice coffee table book with a lot of um, images and Spielberg's written a really nice introduction to that. But it tell, talks about, there's a map of where they shot the scenes in Martha's Vineyard, where the beach was. There's about seven or eight locations that they use and yeah. stuff. Those are two that's great choices. That's a good uh, set of choices. Uh, uh, Charles, anything from your memory, the summer blockbusters that are, rings a bell with you, anything? Uh, yeah, I suppose uh, my heyday was the 90s. Right. So, um, uh, what sp- was the summers in the 90s? I what suppose was uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, right, because uh, it's quite late, yeah. Toy Story, I think, was the summer one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Toy Story 1. Um, We're going downhill now. Yeah. <laughs> Grabbing at straws. Uh, uh, Lion King. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll end the podcast next. <laughs> um, so all the good ones. Saving yeah. Private Ryan. Was that a summer release? Mm. Uh, I think so, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that could have been on the list, or I think you could yeah. have put that on the list. Um, so there you go. That's, that feel-good summer, <laughs> summer movie. Saving Private <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, we we'll end on that. A Toy Story and Saving Private Ryan. Um, Toy Story Four. Have you seen anything about? Yeah, it? I've seen it. Is that getting kicked around, or is it? A, is it a good thing, or is it a bad thing? No, it's Four. it's great. No, it's it's a great film. I mean, Toy Story Four is really good. I I like. I mean, I liked it. I saw it yesterday. Oh, you uh, saw it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think you'd seen the Avengers last time we met. I saw it. Yeah. So, how, what, what's your um, critique? Of my it? bladder survived. Hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> um, Are you going with the rest of the crowd and saying it's magnificent? And well, I'm the only thing I find about the Avengers films, and no spoilers there, is I just think it they. They they should have done it as two movies. I think it should have been Endgame Part One and Endgame. But part then would two. have people complained? No, no. I I think if they no, my biggest problem is is and you'll see why when you watch it is that you know when you think of all the characters that have inhabited the Marvel universe, yeah. Um, they the climax was I felt was a little bit like they a little bit rushed. Okay. I kind of felt that there were so many great characters used and I quite like all of them in there. But the funny thing is, is it kind of, um, it was, it was great. I mean, I think if you like the Marvel movies, you're going to like this one. And I think that's really what I was, that's what I was, I've, I kind of was buying from the reviews. Everybody was saying, oh, this is, this is fantastic. And it's great. I don't think it's the best. Oh, I'm really? not stiff yeah. I don't think it's the best of the, you know, I think, Captain Marvel, I think, is great. I like Captain Marvel. Um, I, I didn't think it was better. I think Infinity War is, is better. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think Endgame was, um, and I think also it's kind of like because you know you you've been watching so many movies with so many coders, and you you. I mean, I actually when I left the cinema, I said, "Is there a coder at the end of this one?" Because they said, "No, no, there isn't." It's like because it because it was kind of like the the end of the chapter because yeah. you got Spider Man Far From Home, which is coming out soon, which I think is on July the in July, and then you've got like. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see because um, they may have to rethink it because I think X Men Dark Phoenix has kind of gone down like a lead balloon. Yes. Is there any of the X? Is there any any of the Avengers that haven't had an origin story or have? Like, is there any room there for? Well, you can always just. There's tons of there's tons of people who have been an adventure, and there's tons of unused characters. So, I mean, they can always dig uh, dig people. Out. All right, now, now think about it. Is there any that have had an origin story of the Avengers? Iron Man hasn't, has he? Thor, yeah. has. Iron Man, Iron Man, Captain America, yeah, yeah, Iron Man, Captain America, um, Captain Marvel, Thor's, Thor's had one. Um, the Hulk's had one. 
Well, oh, he's okay. had more. He's had more bloody <laughs> origin <laughs> stories than anything because he's had because you, he had, you, had, the, you had the you had the bouncing ball Eric Banner one. Yeah, which was the one where you know the Running you know like the you know the, it kept yeah. bouncing around like yeah. the, you know which was not great. Oh, the Ang Lee one. Um, you had the you had the Edward Norton one, the yeah. Incredible Hulk, which kind of was. Um, yeah. And then you've then of course you've got like, um, and then you've got the the Mark Ruffalo one as well. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it, it's such a cash cow now that I think in like the Bond movies, you're half expecting, you're wondering when the next one's going to happen, I yeah. think. Oh, uh, very much so. And they're talking about maybe doing a Savage Avengers or something like that. So, yeah. So and they, I, I think there's, I think that what I understand is, is I think Brie Last, the Captain Marvel is going to be the next, he's like Iron Man before, yeah, he's going to yeah, be yeah. the next thing. But I think part of the reason is, is because the contracts of a lot of the people who've played this, um, from what story I heard is apparently um, apparently Robert Downey Jr. wanted an incredible amount of money for the, for the, for two of these films oh, for the okay. infinity war. Um, but it, that's the thing. It's like, you know, they're, they're comic book characters and they are, they're, they're reusable. They're yeah. recyclable. You know, they are. Uh, especially as in the comics, the last couple of years, they have been uh, the, what they're called legacy characters, they have been getting rid of and experimenting with changing, you know, oh, okay. like they got rid of Captain America, they got rid of Iron Man, they got rid of the Hulk, and they brought in younger, different versions. Right, in. Yeah. So they have been That's experimenting. Yeah, yeah, basically they've been sort of writing stories and experimenting with effectively replacing them with an eye, I think, to the MCU. Um, what what we got coming out this summer then? That hasn't already come out. Have we got any left? When's Terminator, whatever it is, six? When's that out? I think September, August. Oh, that August. Yeah, October. But there's, there's, um, I mean, there's the rebooted Lion King, which is the brand new one, which is, um, which is like the the Jungle Book, the CGI real life thing where they're using the same story, a bit bit like yeah, a bit like Aladdin and stuff. Um, Is Aladdin out yet? Aladdin's out. So what's happened with that? Because they was getting trounced because of Will Smith or something. How else? How else that done at the box office? Done okay. (sighs) It's done okay. I mean, people. I mean, people like it, but they don't think. I think because Robin Williams is such a. Um, I think because oh, yeah. Robin Williams is so defining yeah. as um, a character. Anyway, um, so what films have we got coming out left? Mm-hmm. Spider Man. Spider Man. Um, uh, they're all out. About it, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, um, Child's Play. Child's Play's oh, yeah. out. Um, oh, is that out? There's that. Um, there's a brand new um, animated thing called The Queen's Corgi from the makers of Neon Mio and Juliet, which is kind oh, of. I've like, seen the things in the tube. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, it's Jack. I think from what I understand, it you've got like Jack Whitehall voicing the Queen's Corgi, and you've got like I think Prince Philip and the Queen voiced by Tom Courtney and Julie Waters. Because you can kind of predict, you can kind of predict who's doing the voice for what. Because <laughs> Julie Waters is kind of like. You know, you think, yeah, she's she's doing that. So, so what's uh, because the next time we see you, I'm thinking it's Halloween for the uh, my time of the year. This is what I've been building up with John Nums up to the Halloween mm-hmm. horror films. Um, anything going on between then? Well, there's fright Awards. fest in there's fright fest in August. Um, oh, that's in August. Yeah, fright fest in August, late August. Um, and there's a whole host of other. So, things. what is fright fest exactly? Fright fest is the is a very popular. Um, horror film festival which has been going for 20 years it's celebrating its 20th anniversary as independence on what's their what's their USB it's it's a it started at the Prince Charles Cinema in 2000 Um, and what it is is it's a great opportunity for 
horror directors and to sh- and filmmakers to showcase their work. Um, it's you know there there's a lot of you know some great movies have been played over the years. I mean, um, Hellboy was pr- was one of the big films. Okay. Um, Land of the Dead. Yeah. Land of the Dead. George A. Romero. Okay. Um, I spit on your grave. Um, they've they've done things like um, but they're releasing the films at this time. No, no, Fright Fest is different. Fright Fest is actually an opportunity for showcasing. It's a festival where you get a chance to watch about twenty four or twenty five films. So, like cans, is that sort of? It's, it's a, no, it's no. it's like a it's a showcase for all the genre stuff. So they do. They've just announced the program for this year, um, and it's not just a film festival. It's a community of fans. And they they go to the uh, Cineworld in Leicester Square. It was originally the Prince Charles Cinema. Then it was the Odeon West End. Then it became the Empire in the Screen One. And I've, I did a thing called the Sleepy Queue, where you actually queued overnight for oh, um, no. about 17 hours. So you, you queued out and then Jesus. you spent 17 hours outside the cinema. And then literally in the morning, you would go and get your tickets yeah. for your pass and then you'd exchange it for your lamyard when you when you go to when you arrive at the thing you just buy the ticket it's like 195 pounds cool. and if you stayed the night they actually used to reward you with a bonus of a film at the prince charles so you go and watch a movie oh, there okay, right. um <laughs> but it's it, it's you know i mean i've got a lot of friends there and and um and paul ian and jack and paul ian um pauline and alan and greg who run the festival do a really great job and they they reckon that there's a really nice um, nice lineup. There's a really great lineup for this year. Um, so it's every year the Fright Fest. Every year for Fright Fest. Um, what did you see last year? God, what am I remembering? Um, oh God, I can't remember now. <laughs> what have you seen? What good films have you seen though that come out? I've of seen. I mean, I've I saw the um, remake of Leatherface, which was the oh, okay. which was shot in Romania of all, all places, oh, yeah. and um, you know, I did some pre- I did some reviews for that one. Um, I met this British actress, Vanessa Grass, who was in this thing called It Came From The Desert, which was about giant ants, a bit like <laughs> them and stuff. Um, one of my favorite films of all time from the festival over the last few years has been Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's funny. Okay, yeah. so in a nutshell, um, the story is basically in the traditional Friday the 13th and stuff like that, it's normally a bunch of teens going off to the woods and then you have... Yoko, locals who are who are basically well, i think you got it right the first time yeah, <laughs> yokels. yeah. so they they basically terrorize the teens yeah the difference between this one is actually the yokels are the good guys yeah and the teens are the it bad is a guys. Fun, it is an original story and there's so, um yeah. and there's some great scenes like the the scene where for example tucker he's actually sort of chops through some wood and he chops into like a beehive and then of course he's driving and he's he's <laughs> chainsaw. Chainsaw. <laughs> and, then, ah! then, and then of course is that and the, i mean but but the standout sequence for me is the sequence where the one of the teens sort of accidentally falls into the wood chipper oh right yeah the and thing. then and he's pulling the thing out and then the police chief turns up and they've got like the two you know they've got like the, the, the legs pulling out like that but again it's it's like the um and I do remember that tested really, really well. I mean, we all came out of the screening just loving it, and we yeah. lo- we loved it. I mean, that had the best reaction for a horror film, I think, since The Evil Dead. I yeah, think it had like that sort of thing to it. Good mix of horror. Um, so right, so we're probably going to see you for Fright Fest, and we'll come up something for that for that time yeah. and for the Halloween. But yeah, uh, yeah so uh, when's that? When is that? 
end of August, you said? Halloween's Friday. Fr- ha- yeah. Friday is the bank ho- or late August bank holiday. Oh, okay, it's bank holiday. And then, ha- and also they do a Halloween Friday Fest, which is a day all day. So they do like uh-huh. six films. Okay. Um, but they did an all-nighter. But the problem is with all-nighters, you know, you normally fall asleep around three o'clock. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not very bad. I mean, I've, it becomes a bit of a, yeah, it becomes a bit of a slog, doesn't it? Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Seems like it's not that good on, an idea as it was, so it was like in the afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. It's been very interesting as always. Yeah, and uh, probably see you for Fright Fest then. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Take another drag of my cigarette And I don't mind if the sun don't